but an old timer should skate. He comes there with me. I went, yes, sir. Because that's what I do in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I follow the old timers that were here before me and do what they asked me to do. You know, um, I have a sobriety date. It's June 5th, 1984. And for that, I'm eternally grateful because I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I hope you guys have learned to love Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you haven't, stick around long enough and you probably will. You know, um, what I can tell you is, you know, 39 years ago, I was not the kind of guy that would have showed up to anything like this. I was self-centered, egotistical, and I really just kind of hated people in general. Right? That was the way I lived. And I thought that was normal. You know, I grew up in a household where they tried to teach me right from wrong. They were good parents. They didn't drink. They didn't do any of those things. They tried real hard. I didn't learn the lessons. And I chose not to learn the lessons. I think more is what the reality is. You know, so the highlights of my drinking career, I'm gonna give you a couple of quick highlights because I only have a few minutes and I want to spend more time on what's recovery like for me today. You know, my big highlights for drinking. I passed out in the apartment one night, came to about two, three in the morning, looked over in the corner and there's that rat that I'd been hearing around the apartment all week, staring right back at me. I could see these little bitty eyes just staring right at me. And I was too drunk and too scared to get up off the floor to do anything about it. So he stared at me. I stared at him for the next three hours until the sun came up. And I realized I'd just been held captive by my own sock. That's a highlight of my drinking career. You know, I do things like live in a cardboard box along the Truckee River because I have too much pride and ego to go back home. Right? I think it's better to live there than to go back home and admit defeat. You know? So that's the kind of stuff I do when I drink. And I used to drink down here at the Seahorse Inn. A few of you might remember that place. They call it our place today. It's not any better. It's just as nasty as it was back in the day it was a seahorse. I think they got a newer mirror. That's about the only thing I know that's different about it. And I think it's got a newer mirror. At least that's what I've been told by one of my Swansees who had drank in it a while back. Um, you know, I just was a, a miserable person. It did a lot of things that hurt a lot of people. I was married, and my first first wife, poor lady, really, really, I, I still owe her a lot of amends, and most of it is living amends today, but, you know, this lady knew how to call the police department, knew how to call the morgue, knew how to call the, you know, all the different organizations to figure out where I was at, because I would go out to have one drink, or I was going to go get something, and three days later I might come home, you know, but what she always did every time I came home and when I first got sober I didn't understand it and the longer I'm sober the more I understand but when I came home every night she would be standing by the front door and God bless her she would sniff me and say the most weirdest thing you've been drinking and I used to think that that was kind of funny and weird but in reality what it was is one more time the hope she had in her life that it was going to be different next time would be diminished one more time. Every time I came home drunk, that little bit of hope in her died each time. See? You know, so that's the highlights of my career. I mean, I can tell you one other exciting example of my highlights of my career. I'm drinking in Norwalk, California. I'm having a great time. A couple days later, I come to an hotel room or a motel room and I look out the window and there's snow on the ground. Now I started drinking in Norwalk, California. There should not be snow on the ground. You know, but I like to take adventures. I used to call them because I black out. And so I thought, well, I better check out where I'm at so I know how far I got to go to go back home. And I checked for the phone book and the, uh, yeah, there used to be a book that had all those phone numbers in them. We don't have them anymore, but I checked for the phone book because that usually told you at least what city you were in. But I didn't have one in that hotel room, so I had to go down to the office, and I walked up there to the office, and I opened the door, and I said, Hello. I said, Where am I? And he said, Howdy. And I went, Uh-oh. Howdy? 
I went, uh-oh, this isn't good. I, I said, excuse me, but where am I? And he said, you're, you're in Amarillo. <laughs> I went, Amarillo where? He said, Amarillo, Texas. And I went, oh, crap. Because I looked out in the parking lot, and my car didn't exist in that parking lot. I had gotten to Amarillo, Texas, and to this day, I still don't know how I got to Amarillo, Texas. I can tell you that the highlight of my drinking career is it's a long walk from Amarillo, Texas, back to Los Angeles. Yeah, a lot of hitchhiking and a lot of lonely times. You know, those are the highlights of my drinking career. Those are the things I did when I was drinking. So I come to what's happening in my life today, you know. I started off by telling you that I was a horrible person. I was mean and unkind. And I stole all the hope you ever had for me in my life from you, right? And I come to Alcoholics Anonymous and I start to do these things they tell me to do. The chains of the world told me that I'd, I had to do these certain things. And he said mean things to me like, you know, Dave, you got to start telling the truth to yourself. And that hurt my feelings. He didn't know that I was the best con man in the world. Why would I want to tell the truth? You know, he'd tell me things like, you know, the first step, really, Dave, is to fully concede to your innermost self that you're alcoholic. And I go, okay. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous taught me that how to be a man. You know, I got a call the other morning, early in the morning. I was surprised. It was early. I was a little scared because it was my son. My son that I told my wife that I was never going to drink after he was born, and I drank immediately thereafter. He called me on the phone, and he called to tell me, Daddy, I love you. That's all he wanted to tell me. You have a good day. This man's 38 years old. You know, that's not possible for a drunk like me. Right? But because of Alcoholics Anonymous, my life has changed. I've remarried. I have a wonderful wife today. She treats me like a king. You know, some days we don't always agree, but she still treats me like a king, and I'm very grateful for that. Yes. She's an active member of the program Al-Anon, and I'm very grateful for that, you know. She said, but, you know, the last nine months to a year has been a, an absolute nightmare for me and my sobriety. I've had to do some stuff I didn't think was going to be possible for someone like me to do. My sister, uh, a couple of years ago, fell down and uh, caused some brain damage and now she has Alzheimer's and uh, psychosis and she's in one of the nursing homes here in Glendora. But at the time she did that she was living in Oregon. And I had to make several trips up there and make arrangements to get her down here. Now I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not the guy to go up to Oregon and take care of somebody else. Especially my sister because when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous she was my Eskimo. She brought me to my very first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, that doesn't sound like much. She was living in Seattle, Washington at the time. But she came down from Washington to take me to my very first meeting. So this lady's my Eskimo. She's my hero. She was also the person I hated the most when I first got sober. Because she would have been a lot like me for a long, long time. But because of Alcoholics Anonymous, I've been able to, over the last year, make arrangements to build a little ADU in my backyard so that she could live in it. At least that was the plan. I've been able to go up and make sure that she had all the proper care that she needed. Right? Doing a lot of inventory, a lot of uh, making of amends. And then when it came time to move her down, I was able to do that and move her into my house, my wife and I. That's a gift to Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know about you guys, when I got here, that wasn't my plans. That wasn't the great, great adventure I wanted, right? I wrote this list. That list sucked because I got much more than I ever anticipated, you know? I have had love and I've had understanding in Alcoholics Anonymous. I've gotten friendships, you know? I've had some real good friendships for a long, long time. One of the first guys I sponsored just passed away, you know? I don't know how he stayed sober, because I was really crazy, but we seemed to do well together, you know? I sponsor several guys, and they teach me a whole lot more than I teach them. They teach me how to be loving, they teach me how to be kind, they teach me how to be gentle. 
And it's men in Alcoholics Anonymous taught me how to be a good brother. They taught me how to be a good husband. And they got me, taught me how to be a good father. Wow. Because I had abandoned that son when I left. You know, because she left me. I moved into the travel trailer in my parents' driveway because I wasn't moving back home. You know, I still had alcoholic thinking when I first got here. But because of Alcoholics Anonymous and working these steps and applying these traditions, I've been able to travel around the world. Now, I didn't do that because I was rich and had lots of money. It was my job. But the great advantage of that was I've been to 18 uh, different countries on five different continents, and I've been to a meeting every one of them. You know? And the best meeting I ever went to of Alcoholics Anonymous is in Paris, France. They didn't speak English, and I don't speak French. But for that hour, I was completely safe and loved. See, if you knew an Alcoholics Anonymous, you get nothing else out of this tonight. You're loved. Nobody in Alcoholics Anonymous truly wants to do harm to you. Now, there's some people in the program that are still pretty sick, so you've got to be careful who you choose. But you get to have the opportunity to grow in love with friendship. And that's a gift I got in Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't think I was wanted when I got here. I didn't have any friends. Now I got more friends than I know what to do with. You know, I get a son that calls me and tells me he loves me. I got an ex-wife that we have nice conversations with. We don't hate on each other. That's because Alcoholics Anonymous and you teach me to do the right things. You know, if you knew an Alcoholics Anonymous, what I can tell you is you never have to be alone again. That's a guarantee. You never, ever have to take another drink again if you don't want to. And even better, you never have to take a drink again even if you want to. See, because all you got to do is reach out. <laughs> There's somebody here in Alcoholics Anonymous who will help you. You know, we'll help you. And we'll go out of our way to help you. Now, I always thought that was strange that we would do that, but they did it for me and I'd do it for anybody else. So, now if you're new and no one's told you that they love you, I just did. Thank you for letting me share. All right. All right. Now, did we do the sound tradition while I wasn't looking? Yeah. Yes, okay. Then in that case, our speaker tonight is Shane. Grateful Recovering Alcoholic. My name is Shane. Hi, Shane. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, congratulations to the chip people and the birthday people. We're glad you're here. We need all the good people we can get. And uh, thank you, Dave. Um, Dave talked about um, he's got uh, a lot of good friends and, and longtime friends and um, I hope some of the new people here stay here long enough to get some long time friendships. If any of you have a cell phone and you can whip it out to a Google search, you can put in a term, it's called Anamkara, because in the English language, there is no uh, word uh, to describe and capture long-time friendships like Dave and I have and some others that have known each other and helped each other through over the years divorces and ill health and deaths in the family uh, you can say that we're good friends or really good friends but there's nothing really good to capture it but in the Gaelic language there's a term it's called Anamkara and if you google it A N A M space C A R A Anamkara it translates from the Gaelic language into the English language as soul friends. So try Googling that, Anamkara. Because over the years, and I've known uh, Dave for 39 years, um, we develop these friendships that are much more than friendships. We're soul brothers, soul friends. You know. So anyway, um, and he mentioned that... Um, He's been able to help his sister. And for people like him, 
one thing that AA has given him and it's given me is um, a second chance to be the dads we should have been, the brothers we could have been, and in Dave's case, um, the brother that his sister needs, we're given a second chance to be <coughs> the people that we were always meant to be. We get a second chance to be those people, those spirits that we were always meant to be. Uh, did I just do that? No. No. And I'm not going to bore you. Let's see. I, I got to keep an eye on the time. Like Dave said, you know, I'm not going to bore you with a 40-minute dialogue. Of, and I don't have any highlights in my sobriety um, that would interest you. Uh, I am kind of unique in AA, though. Um, I'm probably the only people, the only person you'll ever meet that got drunk and came to out of a blackout married to a Catholic nun. That's true. <laughs> and that wasn't funny, you know. You don't know what it's like after sex, you know. You got to kneel down and say, tell me how Mary's to give me Father Fives in. Yeah, that lasted seven years. You know, that was one of my bright ideas. But anyway, um, I'm not going to bore you with a drunk a lot, but I'd like to probably cover some stuff that you've never heard before from a speaker. Uh, um, sometimes you hear people say, well, I'm working on principles. But if you ask them, you know, what principles are you working? They can't tell you, you know. Uh, but we have 12 principles. Actually, uh, what we have is um, we have... 12 steps, 12 traditions, 12 concepts, and we have 12 principles, a principle for each step. And the principles are in order, honesty, hope, faith, integrity, courage, willingness, humility, forgiveness. Let me stop there for a minute because a lot of you don't know where the term forgiveness came from. Actually, it's a Gaelic term from over 200 years ago. And <clears throat> the term forgiveness, uh, its whole term was, I forego getting even with ye. I forego getting even with you. Then over the years, it was shortened down to, I forgive ye, I forgive you. So when you say, I forgive you, what you're really saying is, I forego getting even with you. Does it make a little bit more sense now? So. Uh, forgiveness is the principle for step eight. Notice that it comes right before step nine, where we go make our amends and we ask others for forgiveness. And uh, actually, step nine is where we uh, try to atone for the uh, things that we have done wrong, right? And so anyway, uh, forgiveness comes right before step nine, where we ask for forgiveness and we try to make um, the rights uh, of the things that we did wrong. In step 10, uh, the principle is uh, perseverance. And 11 is spiritual awareness. And the principle for step 12 is service, which we practice through generosity and charity. And um, <clears throat> one of the things that I've been trying to do for years is to be of service. And you... Uh, you can be of service being secretary and treasurer, mop the floors and you know, that kind of stuff. But true service is when you do like some of the guys here I've seen um, doing all of the cooking and cleaning and all of that stuff. But also when you are of service beyond the meeting level of at um, GSR, at um, district level and of uh, um, area level. And that's where you're really of service because when you get to the area level, those there's 15 different committees up there and they're all two year long committees. And um, I was the archivist for area five for like 10 years and that took a lot of time. Uh, so look for being of, of service whenever you can and um, I stepped down from that position about six, seven years ago, and then I volunteered uh, to be of service out at the Loma Linda uh, VA hospital for years, and uh, then when COVID hit, they got rid of all of the 
um, volunteers. Uh, and then last week I just joined up with the VFW for uh, Upland to be of service there. And they don't even have a bar, which I like, because a lot of VFWs, they just uh, go in there and drink, you know, and get drunk and tell war stories. But uh, this VFW, they actually come out and do stuff in the community and volunteer. So, you know, look for ways to be of service. And, and to give you a hint, it's really strange, but um, Martin Luther King, who had nothing to do with AA, but he said, the most important question in life is, how are you being of service to others? And then uh, Muhammad Ali, the boxer, he said, being of service to others is how I pay for my space rent in heaven. You know, so, so look for ways of, of being of service. So those are the 12 principles. And um, I'll show you how you can use them in your lifetime. Um, um, in 2005, my mother passed away. And it was really, uh, a really, uh, she lived in Pomona, really tragic event. And um, <clears throat> when I got to her house, she was already passed away. And the cops were there and paramedics were there. and bloody scene and everything and um, I thought well you know I wanted to put on my Rambo suit and go out and seek some justice you know revenge uh, for the people that caused it and uh, and I thought you know what principles of the 12 should I really be working and I thought uh, forgiveness you know for um, number eight uh, and also um, um, uh, also the principle for 10 uh, perseverance just to get through it without doing something stupid you know that would get me in trouble you know and so I got through that uh, and with some humility uh, which is the principle for step six so when you go through something traumatic dramatic you know look at the principles the 12 principles and see which ones that you really need to be working to get you through that and so um, those are the principles. And one thing that, that you never hear in AA, <clears throat> nobody ever talks about, is when you come into the program, whether it's this program or another spinoff of the uh, 12 steps, whether, whether it's NACA, OA, one of the other ones, GA, we all suffer uh, in four distinct areas that you never hear about. Uh, but they are relationships, finance, health, and legal issues let me go through those quickly is you think that when you come into a program like this all you have to do is work the 12 steps you know uh, choose a God of your own understanding and, and take an inventory you know make amends all of that stuff but hey that's just the beginning um, most of us suffer with all of our relationships um, siblings, husbands and wives, relationships uh, with uh, grandparents and parents, they're all in shambles when we get here because of our diseases and we need to spend active time repairing those relationships, those, those fractured uh, relationships that are, uh, that are damaged because of what we did or didn't do. And another area um, uh, is our finances, you know, when we come into, we got back taxes, we got behind uh, mortgage payments or rent. Uh, so uh, we have to spend time in those areas. Another area is uh, legal issues. You know, we got maybe back child support and uh, outstanding bills and, and that kind of stuff we need to take care of. If, if you bury your head in the sand and think that uh, that stuff is gonna go away now that you're clean it's over or God will take care of it, you know, uh, uh, that shit doesn't happen. And also another area is um, health issues. You come into the program and, and normally a lot of your organs are shot, liver, pancreas, kidneys, you know, and if you did a lot of meth, you got some teeth missing, you know, big time. So you have to spend some time um, working on your health and getting your health back, you know. So don't think that just working the 12 step is all you, all you need to do. You, those other four areas, relationships, um, finance, uh, health, and legal issues. And if you ever get a copy of this book called Came to Believe, uh, if you open it up to chapter five, 
there was a woman in 1957. She came up to Bill W. She said, hey, Bill, is sobriety all there is? Is this it, sobriety? And Bill said, no. Sobriety is but the first gift of the first spiritual awakening. Sobriety is the first gift of the first spiritual awakening. If you want the other gifts out there waiting for you, you've got to do the things that are necessary to earn them. And that is not only working the 12 steps or being in service and doing all the other things that we, that have gone before you, suggest you do. And, you know, I know in the big book, uh, on page 64, it says, we realize, you know, we suggest, you know, it's, it's only a little, you know, we suggest, uh, and the word suggest says, you know, we suggest, but if you look in the first 164 pages of the big book, um, the word must appears 157 times. Hey, that's a, that's a heavy hint, okay? Uh, there's things that you have to do that you must do if you want to stay around here clean and sober. So uh, there's a lot of things that you have to do. Uh, matter of fact, I used to keep in the back of my car a list of uh, uh, 157 uh, musts that appear in the first 164 pages of the book because I would hand them out and say, okay, you guys that sponsor people, uh, tell your sponsees to uh, go through the first 164 and mark down every page that the word must appears and then check it against this list. <laughs> so. Um, you know, but that's something that, uh, that you can do. Um, there's, um, there's something that if you want to achieve long-term sobriety, I'll give you the secret, okay? Here's the secret. Um, the secret is never um, mix your living problems with your drinking problem, okay? Living problems are divorce, you know, or uh, bad health, or uh, you lose your car, or you get fired from a job. Those are all living problems. Your drinking problem, or drug problem, or gambling problem, or overeating problem, or sex problem, that has nothing to do with your living problems. You cannot afford to allow the emotional pain of a living problem, getting divorced, or, or you know, uh, a doctor telling you you've got an incurable disease, you got six months to live. You can't afford uh, to allow those uh, emotional pain problems to force you back to drinking. The quickest way that we know to escape emotional pain is to pick up a drink. You know, that's how we we can shut the pain up. We know that will work. But where does that lead? It goes right back to uh, all the problems that we used to have and worse, you know. So um, keep your living problems separate from your drinking problem. I came up with that saying, I don't know, about, I'd say 20, 25 years ago. And I used to say it all the time in meetings at the 502 Club, where I used to go to a lot of meetings. And someone heard it and took it back to Hollywood and wrote it into the script, the movie called Traffic. And I don't know if you ever saw that. It was all about drugs. And Benicio Del Toro won the Academy Award, and Michael uh, Balanchino was in it, and Michael Douglas, and a whole bunch of actors. And it was all about drugs. And at the end of the movie, uh, Michael Douglas's uh, daughter is getting sober in a um, um, detox house. And at the end of the movie, she is standing at a podium just like this and she says thank you for letting me share and she steps down and the um one of the guys in the house uh the manager he puts his shoulder uh, arm around her shoulder and leads her out into the backyard and he tells her he says if you want to get long-term sobriety you must keep your living problems separate from your drug problem and that came straight from me, you know, and I, I, I saw it in the movie and I said, oh man, I'm famous, but it's anonymous, I can't say anything, you know, but, <laughs> but that's, that's so true. You have to keep your living problems separate from your drug and drinking problem. If you can do that, then you've got a chance to, to stay sober long term. And no matter how bad the emotional uh, pain is, 
you know, you, you, you know, call your sponsor, or, you know, talk it out, come to a meeting, do anything. Uh, 12 principles, 10, perseverance, get through it, you know. Just don't allow the, the pain to force you back to your disease because, yeah, it, it can shut the pain off temporarily. But for me to do that, it's like playing Russian roulette with a 45 automatic. First shot, I'm dead, you know. And uh, uh, actually, if I stay sober, what, 31 more days uh, until December 18th, I'll have 47 years. Nice. And, and that's, and that's, it's just one day at a time. And, and um, let's see, how much, I got 40 minutes. I don't know how much, what time I started. But uh, from where I came from to today, you know, it's like miles apart. I'll just give you just like just a couple minutes of, of uh, my story. But I was born in the Bronx. Uh, my family split up when I was three. I attended 18 public schools, one Catholic school, dropped out in the sixth grade. That's as far as I got. Um, I was homeless on the streets of Philadelphia. Uh, when I was 13, 14, 15, I was a male prostitute on the streets of Philadelphia. 16, I joined the army under someone else's name. Um, um, I spent, I um, uh, joined the army and did my basic training in, in uh, Fort Dix, New Jersey. Spent nine months high up in the barbarian Alps of Germany for additional training. Uh, and then went to Vietnam. Uh, I got there when I was 17. When I was 18, I just finished uh, 15 months of fighting in the jungles. I had um, four rows of combat medals, a row of unit citations, E5, uh, sergeant stripes, a chest full of um, Agent Orange, belly full of uh, uh, jungle parasites, and I was picked up and flown back to the United States. When I got off the plane in Oakland, California, there were six MPs waiting for me, guns loaded. I was put in handcuffs, shackles, court-martialed, stripped of all rank and pay, sentenced to six months, solitary confinement in a military prison in a special cell, 15 feet below ground in Georgia, and um, did, did the time, spent a new, another two years in the military. Uh, on my 21st birthday, I was discharged uh, with the rank of Private E1 and a full-blown alcoholic, and given a one-way ticket back to the Bronx, it was too cold. Um, packed my old duffel bag, hopped on a plane, flew to L.A. where it was warm, got off the plane six months later, met and married this Catholic nun, and my life started going downhill from there. And, uh, and so, uh, so uh, to make a long story short, we stayed married uh, six and a half years. We had a beautiful son. He lives in, in uh, Pasadena. I never see the ex. Uh, she's married. She got married three more times. and. Um, uh, she lives in, in uh, uh, L.A. in a Section 8 apartment, and uh, my son called me about, uh, about five or six years ago. And so, oh, Mom was in a movie house, and, and she was coming down some stairs, and she fell, and she broke both her legs. And he told me that over the phone, and I went, wow. Yeah! <laughs> but, um, but anyway, um, since then, uh, I hired on with the phone company at the time, GTE and then Verizon. Now it's uh, something else. But I, I uh, retired uh, with 36 years as a central office technician, and I worked very, very, very hard and um, um, volunteered to take everybody's um, on call and overtime. And when I retired in 2014, I had a little over $1 million in my retirement account. So I did very well. And uh, I, I'm not bragging, but um, the lesson I want you to hear is that I pray to God as if he provides everything, but I work as if he doesn't. You hear the message? And so, uh, so anyway, I, I, uh, I'm retired now and uh, that's, allowed me to do a lot of the traveling all over the United States doing AA archive work. And now I stepped down and now I'm, I'm doing other stuff and uh, I'll be 75 in February. And I have a very quiet, peaceful life. Oh, let me tell you something else I had to do in addition to getting sober. 
not only did I have to break my addiction to alcohol, I had to break my addiction to drama in my life, in my sobriety. I had to break my addiction to uh, getting involved with toxic people. I had to break my addiction to vampire women in the program. Oh, God, man. Jesus, man. 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 Some of them tore me a new asshole. <clears throat> and uh, so, if you have a copy of the big book, second edition and third edition, if you open it up to page 542, it says there's only two sins. One sin is to stand in the way of your own growth. The other sin is to stand in the way of someone else's growth. So if you want a writing exercise for yourself or uh, one of your sponsees, make a list of the things that you're doing to stand in the way of your own growth. And then uh, make a list of the things that you might be doing to stand in the way of someone else's growth, maybe your spouse or, or, or you know, something like that. So there are other things. And if you're uh, making a list of the things that are standing in your own growth, the way that you're standing in your own growth, uh, maybe it's uh, not getting deep enough into the 11th step, meditating, or spending enough time alone, you know, make a list of those things. But also, uh, another list that you can do is to make a list of looking over your life when the Eskimos appeared in your life, the people that came into your life to give you, a, give you a brief message and you either picked it up or you ignored it. And I can tell you when Eskimos have appeared in my life and I brushed them off, I've always had to pay dearly for that, you know. So make a list of when the Eskimos have appeared in your life. And now what I do, when people talk to me now, I, have, I raise up my spiritual antennae, and when I'm in meetings, I listen for the messages, and especially when I'm in a, a, a group like you guys, and especially, I only know like about, I know Les, and I know Dave, and maybe just one or two other people, but when I'm in a meeting like this, and, and a lot of people I don't know, and you're talking to me, I've got my spiritual antennae up. I'm listening for a message uh, that maybe uh, something that I need to hear that you're passing through is the message is passing through you to me that I need to hear. So even though uh, I'm getting older and uh, my hearing is, is harder, I'm picking up on messages that I really need to hear. You know, it's, it's uh, for me, this is still just a learning exercise. Bill W. said that AA is a spiritual kindergarten. AA is a spiritual kindergarten. And we're here to learn a lot of stuff. Now, let me, let me tell you this. I don't know how much time I got. How much time have I got, Les? I don't have a watch. Oh. <laughs> when you run out, when you run out. Okay. When we come into a program like this, and we are sincerely working the steps. Well, let me, let me back up a little bit, because Alcoholics Anonymous is a healing place for damaged, lost, and hurting souls. Guys like me that have come in, that are coming in off the streets, uh, like you know me coming in from Hell's Kitchen and the Bronx, and other people coming in uh, from you know the streets of L.A. and other prisons and that kind of stuff. We're coming in and we are damaged, lost, and hurting souls that need healing. Once we come into a, a program like this and we let our shields down slowly and we choose a sponsor and we come into discussion meetings and we let our guards down so that people can begin to see who we really are, then the healing begins. Once we sincerely start working the 12 steps, then and only then does the recovery begin. And that's when we start working the 12 steps and that's when we start growing. And, and as we work the 12 steps, uh, our thinking changes. And we work the 12 steps and we start taking inventories. Then 
our behavior starts changing. Our thinking, our behavior starts changing. And then we work the steps and we take inventories, we come to uh, conventions, we hear new stuff, we, we talk to other people, our thinking, our behavior, and then we have a change of heart. And then we keep doing more stuff in the program. And over the years, we have not only a change of heart, but we begin to have uh, a change of, of behavior and character. And that's where we start making some changes. But the real change is when we get to uh, close to the end of our, our time, like, like Dave with 39 and me with, with 47, when we can look back and we can see that we have made measurable soul growth, then that um, gives our life here on earth some soul purpose, some real purpose, because now not only have we um, made some change in our behavior and our thinking and our, our way of living, but we've actually made some soul growth. I don't know if that makes any sense to you guys, but sometimes it's as if I think that soul growth is um, preparatory for something in the next lifetime. If there is one, maybe, maybe there's something else that uh, we need to do in the next lifetime. And those soul friends that we meet uh, in this lifetime, those friendships, maybe we, we need those in the next lifetime. We see those people. Have you ever met someone uh, here where you say, man, me and that guy, we hit it off really good. Or, or me and that, that girl on the job, I just met this new girl on the job. And man, we click so, so well. It's almost like uh, we're sisters, you know, and, and it's almost as if you're meeting a soul friend from another lifetime, you know. And so uh, it's just the beginning. And for me, as uh, Bill said, um, it's a spiritual kindergarten. It's like, man, it's, it's um, almost uh, freaky if you open your eyes and actually see with your spiritual antennae, um, focus in on everything that's happening all around, and you see that, hey, this is just the beginning just the beginning and yeah yeah you have some dips and downs you know in sobriety and and some painful things that happen um but um i don't know if you ever saw this picture this movie it was called michael and it was with uh, john travolta and he was like an angel that he was allowed to come back to earth i think uh 35 times and it was his last time coming and at the end of the movie, he was, just the last couple of minutes, he was walking through Central Park and green trees and everything, it was a beautiful day. And he said, he was looking around, he said, this is my last time coming back to Earth. He says, I'm gonna miss all of this uh, when I leave, you know. And I don't know if you've seen this um, commercial on TV, it's been running for quite a while, it's about, um, um, it's all about uh, diabetes and they're doing um, what do you call it uh, where you go for blood transfusions and uh, these people are saying say no on number 29 and uh, this one lady says uh, uh, I might be just collateral damage and she says I want to live I want to live yeah. and so uh, when I get to where I am here in life, uh, at 75, I'm thinking, you know, this is just a beginning for me. Yeah, I have some, some medical issues, you know. I got something called sciatica in my back. It's a pinch of nerve. And my old sponsor said, that'll, that'll never happen, Shane, have you do the third or fourth and fifth step, you know. And he was just kidding. But hey, next time, if you have a sponsee and they come and, and tell you something, yeah, I just had my car stolen or, or something like that. And, uh, you say, hey, that would never happen if you did a thorough force of fist step, you know. <laughs> or, or say something like, yeah, that wouldn't have never happened if you did a thorough ninth step of men's, you know. <laughs> Throw some humor into it. But, but know that this is just the beginning. This is a spiritual kindergarten. You have a lot more work to do than just the 12 steps. Um, and... Um, Remember to keep your living problem separate from your drinking problem and know that uh, for someone like me, you've, uh, you've been given a second chance uh, 
and we, it, I go to a men's uh, um, steps, uh, a men's stag meeting in Chino every Wednesday night, and uh, there's a saying that we say, "Don't fuck it up," you know. So don't fuck it up. And with that, I think I'll close. Thank you very much. I'm less alcoholic. Let's give uh, Shane and, and David a hand for a good meeting. Thank you. And all the people that uh, prepared this meeting tonight, uh, Carlo for cooking, Yay. and Fernando for bringing all the stuff, and the chili and all, and the, and the cornbread. Hey, Tina, come up so we can raffle off these books. Great experience. Go ahead, you can do it. No, go no, ahead. no, you can do it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, this is this book. We got this, our great experience. We got a 12 and 12 dictionary and a replica of the first edition of the big book. This one has a lot of pictures in it. And by the way, they, they did come out with a um, pictorial. Um, it only took them. Um, 80 what 87 years to come out with a, a picture book pick a number pick a number any number okay the last three is set uh last four 74 63 you got it come on pick a book yeah Job. Looks like a winner to me. All right. We got two more. Yeah, Carl's got it. I hope that person's not coming over here looking for spirituality. 7500. 7500. 7500. It's probably in my pocket. Let's keep going. I bought some. I bought some. <laughs> okay. 7501. Gee. Is it really in my pocket? I'll pick another one. Okay. 7509. a week you know take it home read it and then bring it back so we can recirculate it this one here it's never too late at 92 he's still working the program Whoa. and helping others every every chance he gets now that's happy now he's happy joyous and free it's a pretty good one here seniors and AA grapevine 
Who wants it? Come get it. I'm a senior. I'll take it. Come and get it. Oh, here he goes. Senior. We need some help uh, carrying some stuff to Fernando's uh, car. So if you could, uh, anybody that could stay and help us, we'd appreciate it. Now, if you want to get involved in this meeting, see see uh, Fernando or me after the meeting, and we'll go from there. All right, here, you want to read the promises and praise out of here. Me? Yeah. Okay. Promises. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We are not going to regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, quick, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. No matter, wait. Now, after a moment of silence for the alcoholic that still suffers in and out of these rooms and the innocent children caught in the crossfire, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back. It works. And if anybody has a Mr. Buddy heater, maybe two or two of us, maybe we can bring it next week. <laughs> or a couple blankets. <laughs> a couple scarves. That'll work. More chili. Thank you. Yeah, that's your about life. Who's Al? Who's Al? Yeah, see you around, Al.